From 12 News, your local election headquarters, this is Newsmakers. The results are in, and Governor Dan McKee squeaked out a win in Tuesday's primary despite a late surge by Democratic rival Helena Folks. Ready to go on to the general election. And the race to replace Congressman Jim Langevin is set. Democratic nominee Seth Magaziner is taking on Republican Alan Fung. This week on Newsmakers, a look back on how the campaigns won or lost their races and a look ahead at what could be a bruising eight weeks until the general election. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. This week, a political roundtable breaking down primary night. Joining me, us, I should say, Target 12 investigator Steph Machado, political strategist Lisa Pelosi, and political strategist Kara Cromwell. Welcome to the program, everyone. It's good to have you. I want to go around the table uh, briefly and get your top takeaways from primary night. Ted. Mine was that Helena Folk's momentum was real. You know, we wondered mm. in that final week whether uh, we saw she had a great debate performance. We saw signs that, you know, social media was picking up for her. We were hearing it. We would say during the supermarket, people would mention her right. after the debate. But you don't know because we didn't have access to polling, despite the rumors you hear. But sure enough, she won the vote by 200 votes. She came out the winner on primary day at the precincts. People who voted that day. But she came in third in mail ballots and early voting. And that was the ballgame. Dan McKee won it. Steph. My takeaway is turnout. You know, it, it's always low for primaries. It was particularly low this year. I cover Providence where the races are decided in the primary and less than 20% of voters decided who's going to be the next mayor of Providence. Some of these really close council races that I'm tracking, a matter of a few hundred voters will decide wow. who that council person will be representing, you know, 13,000 constituents. So it, it's very low. You're getting lectured by Steph Machado. Get out. <laughs> Go. Get out. Yeah. Uh, I don't think our newsmakers viewers are the problem. <laughs> no, I don't think so It's a very good point, Kara. Um, I think my top takeaway is that the calendar has changed. It's yeah. election day is the last day to vote. And I think campaigns need to start looking at that window and moving their GOTV efforts out. Get out the vote, that is. Yeah. I'm yes. sorry. Get yes. out the vote efforts um, out, you know, two weeks earlier so that you don't end up with uh, basically a situation where somebody can win at uh, on election day but lose in the mail. I definitely want to get into more detail on that. Lisa, your takeaway. And I think the, I agree with you. The campaigns going forward are going to be looking at this early voting timing for those attack ads. Also for endorsements. Look what happened with the endorsements at the end. If maybe they were sooner, could that have made a difference too? So I think the whole planning strategy is going to be changing as we look into the next two years from now, but especially four years from now. Yeah, I, just to Lisa's point, yeah. a great point, the morning before the primary on Monday, former health department director, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott, put out an endorsement of Helena Folks, very clearly, though not saying his name, criticizing her former boss, Governor Dan McKee. It got some attention, and then the McKee campaign hit back at her, which which drove the news that day. But, you know, if they had a direct-to-camera TV ad from Nicole Alexander mm -hmm. Scott at the Folks campaign, that would have been quite a bit more effective. But as we're saying, a lot of votes were already baked in by the time that news came out. And I think that news particularly only uh, resonated in our little group of 500, right? <laughs> I don't, not to say that Newsmakers is not watched by more than 500, <laughs> but I, I really do think that ended up being a little bit um, of, a, of a small splash mm -hmm. in the puddle. Let's take a look at the results in the governor's race since uh, we're talking about that from primary night. Dan McKee got 33 percent, Helena Folks 30 percent. Nellie Gorbea dropped into third, 26 percent. Uh, also, Matt Brown, 8 percent, and Luis Daniel Munoz at 3 percent. I was at the Folks Campaign Watch Party in Providence atop the Aloft Hotel on Tuesday. I could tell you when the polls closed, we had Channel 12 on, or they had Channel 12 on in the room, and they, Ted came on the screen, 
and uh, showed the early results coming in, and it was... She was on top. She was, yep, and then it was tied. Uh, there was a lot of excitement there, but a chill went through the room mm -hmm. as soon as the Board of Elections started counting those mail ballot votes, and Dan McKee just started pulling away. He won with 33%, Ted, but that is not a mandate. No, it's not. And that's what I think, you know, I, first, I, I want to compliment the McKee campaign. You know, it's easy to look at, you know, two-thirds of primary voters didn't vote for him. Didn't matter. They knew they didn't need a majority. Right. They needed what they got, 33%. They got, they locked down the unions and worked very hard to make sure they not only had union endorsements, they had union muscle. You know, people knocking on doors, calling their members, etc. They had, I would argue, the best uh, advertising, that mother ad alone that the uh, governor did with his mother really, good. Uh, really resonated yeah. people loved it and, and and I would hear from his campaign everywhere Dan McKee went after that your mother I love you you know it, 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 it humanized you usually your, that's yeah. an insult but right. it humanized Dan McKee who that was one of his campaign's concerns people were still like who is this guy like we know he took over from Ramondo but you know what was it and so he's like oh he's a nice fellow who lives at home with his mom you know and it also took all the attention away from things like the FBI investigation mm -hmm. until the end um, they knew what they had to do but I will say, people are going to wonder, give Helena folks just a few more days or her momentum starting a few days earlier, she very well could have won this. Well, could they have done something different to your point at the top of the show? Oh, I hate the Monday morning quarterback. But that's I, what we do. <laughs> I know. And, and I hate to do it. I, I need to acknowledge that we're a majority female panel here. Um, so to use the sports analogy. But anyway, um, I, you know, I do think the shift of the calendar is something that I'm, I'm sure they're thinking about, right? Could we have done something earlier? But there's also maybe a different, too, right? The universe of Democratic primary voters is this big. Turnout was an issue, for sure, but maybe there would have been a group of independents that she could have inspired to pull into the race, you know, Helena-specific voters. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure they've looked at all of these things. I, I don't I don't want to pretend, you know, hindsight's 2020 here, but the calendar is the first thing I think about. And I think looking back, I think she announced October last year, but she didn't go up on the air until May. So she went right on the air, right when people were starting to tune out of mm -hmm. Memorial Day into the summertime to the end of the summer, then people started paying attention. And a month after Kalis. Yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, she's going to, I mean, when you lose, you spend every single of minute course. for the next yeah. number of days. We've all lost. Every <laughs> single thing that you've gone through and what could you have done differently. Mm. And I think, you know, okay for her to um, announce last October, she should have been up on the air so much sooner. And the folks campaign was quiet over the summer, which, and so was Gorbea's campaign, by the way, but she had statewide name recognition. She's been in office for eight years. Folks didn't have that. She needed to be doing more events, getting more attention. She had Jorge Lorz's endorsement, but then was very quiet sort of up until... You mean quiet, like earned media quiet, yeah, like a hold yeah. of a press Having conference. Events, trying to I get a news media coverage Even the contrast between, because you and I, Steph and I sit very close to each other in the office. You had, I would say, a decent number of events to go to week to week in the final weeks for your mayoral candidates covering. And I would say to you, I don't remember the last time I heard from any of the governor candidates about a public event to go cover other than McKee. You know, so right. he had the combination of the the best advertising and he was on the newscasts on both stations every night I would say you rarely saw Gorbea or folks for Gorbea until she was in trouble with the voting so it was machines. really the debate our debate on Channel 12 that got people thinking oh I really like this Lena folks person and it, it bore out in the primary day numbers but you know Nancy Pelosi came and the Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott um, endorsement all came in those final days when people had already voted and we've heard from a lot of people that oh she should have gone negative earlier, but that's tricky in a multi-candidate race where, you know, you might knock down McKee. Joe Fleming likes to make this point. You knock down Dan McKee with a negative ad, but does that really elevate you or does that elevate Nellie Gorbea? To your point, 
you know, not a lot of viewership going on in the summertime for those ads maybe to be effective. It's a super quiet time for, and you know better than we do about viewership in the summer, but I, I think that's Except on it. this show. Right, everyone watches all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, I think incumbency is actually maybe the, the larger point. You know, the things mm -hmm. that McKee yes. was able to do on the air every day was him just being governor. He held an event yeah. probably every single Felt day. Like it, yeah. at least, Bill signings, at least, ribbon yeah. cuttings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Announcing, yeah. you know, federal grants coming in, all of those things. That's the, those are the trappings of incumbency. And I think if we were to do a deep dive, a three hour newsmakers mm -hmm. into all the general assembly races, we could make that same um, that same argument about incumbency. And, and you, Lisa, were you were in the governor's office, but when Link Almond ran his first reelection in 1998, I would assume you made the same use of the office to keep him very active. So it was interesting in June with the poll that came out of the head Nelly ahead, that was when she peaked. Then the General Assembly session wraps up and you're absolutely right. Bill signing here, throwing money at a community there. <laughs> He's on the news every single night. He's shifted from governing to politics to campaigning and we saw that you know benefit him as the weeks went by. All right, I want to talk about election night because there was a bit of a, a controversy on election night, the hang up that was um, heard around the state. Um, it was a moment during McKee's victory speech uh, that caused, as I said, some controversy. Let's take a listen. Helena wants to talk to you. Helena? No, that's not going to happen. Eva. That's not going to happen. Eva, get, hang up on them. So, uh, look, uh, he got a lot of criticism for that. It, you, when you watch it, it wasn't a great look uh, for the governor, mm. I would say, there. Um, just if you could briefly, 30 seconds or less, as I like to say, kind of <laughs> sum up what happened in the days following. Well, that night, <laughs> so I was in the studio watching, and I have to say my jaw dropped. So I'm thinking, wow, this is Dan McKee's big moment. This is exciting for him. I knew how hard his campaign had worked. I knew he's always felt underestimated. He gets to go out there and make his speech. I've won. And within minutes, he's had a really bad moment. I was getting texts from national reporters who were oh, watching wow. our our mm. broadcast because we stream it on the web, saying, "What did the governor of Brown just do?" Like mm. what? And I said stuff as I came off, and then his people start to say to me, "No, don't blame Dan McKee for how he reacted. This is Helena's fault. She shouldn't have called. She should have known he was on TV. They were mad at Helena's people." And Alina's people start saying, what are you talking about? We were calling to concede. That's how this works. We wanted to briefly speak and then give you the floor. So there's this back and forth that starts on Tuesday into Wednesday. But then on Thursday, the governor's campaign comes out and says, yeah, actually, it was us. There was a miscommunication in the governor's campaign staff, uh, and that's what led to all of that. We're sorry. Then he met with folks that day to kind of patch things up. But just you know, talk about stomping on what should have been a good night for him and creating a bad news cycle with, with no need to. And yes, you know, Eva probably shouldn't have waved the phone in his face and, and gotten him Eva flustered. Marie Mancuso, Sorry, the staffer, you heard him say Eva. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the governor, arguably there were other ways maybe to react, especially knowing you were on live television, but that was the moment and it was, you know, that's how he kicked off the general election. And, but there's a second part to that, that you need to finish the story, that the next, when he was asked later about it, what he said, anybody with a brain this wouldn't is true. have done that. That was still Tuesday night, right? Right. So, so when I first saw what he did, I winced. And the second one, I'm hearing that, I'm thinking, you're saying that about Helena Folks, who's one of the smartest people around, <laughs> and showed that during the debate. I found that very offensive. Well, actually, I asked Helena Folks about it that night. Um, a couple of questions to her right after she gave her uh, concession speech. Here's what she had to say. When you look back at the campaign, what would you have done differently, do you think? I have zero regrets. I honestly would have done nothing differently. I think that this was an incredible spirit, energy. I'm very proud of my team. I really am. 
uh, Governor McKee didn't take your call, as, as you pointed out. Um, are you going to support him going into the general election now? Well, that's for tomorrow. Tonight's just about celebrating what we did accomplish. I really want to spend time tonight thanking my team, my supporters, and we'll talk about all that tomorrow. So, you know, that wasn't a yes. Um, Nellie Gorbea has come out and already endorsed Dan McKee. And, you know, this weekend there's a, you know, a big kumbaya <laughs> plan for all the Democrats, right? Yes, It exactly. could be awkward. So we'll see if, <laughs> if, if folks uh, decides to endorse McKee for the general election. It does sound like they kiss and made up at the right. But still no endorsement as of the time still we walked no on the air. Still no endorsement. So that'll be, you know. I think the unity day. dinner will be fun this year. <laughs> uh, to be a fly on the wall. I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to look ahead now uh, to the, uh, you know, the general election. And Ted, you made this point before the primary uh, night was even over and they had started counting the ballots. The Democratic Governors Association was already on the air. They had picked the winner in the GOP race, Ashley <laughs> Kalis. Um, and now Dan McKee also has an attack ad. Um, excuse me, and now Ashley Kalis has an attack ad against uh, Dan McKee. We put those back to back. Take a listen. Republican Ashley Kalis recently moved to Rhode Island. It shows Rhode Island protected a woman's freedom to make decisions about her body. But Kalis, backed by anti-choice extremists, wouldn't have signed that law. So you say you're you're personally pro-life, but policy-wise, would you have signed that? Oh no, I'm pro I'm pro-life. Ashley Kalis, out of state out of touch. Not bad for a year and a half. We've learned the state awarded a multi-million dollar consulting contract to a brand new company. Skyla Group was incorporated the same week McKee was sworn into office and the consulting firm's founder was working for a close confidant and top campaign contributor to the governor. McKee responded, how many millions? Now the deal is being scrutinized by the attorney general's office. The FBI is now also looking into the ILO deal. Not bad for a year and a half. So That's I, a tough ad. That is a tough yeah. ad. I think we should just warn our viewers to uh, fasten your seatbelt because um, unlike primaries, you see a lot more of these negative campaigns going in, into a general election. And people, Kara, they thumb their nose at negative ads. But they work. Yeah, they do work because that's how people, if they're not watching Target 12, <laughs> how they get this information. And I think um, this going back to if we look at the primary, if there had been maybe the gloves coming off a little earlier, the outcome could have been different. I mean, that's the ad, that ILO ad. McKee's people don't like it, but they were expecting it from Helena folks yeah. the whole time and yes. it never came. And that's tough. That's a tough ad. What is Ashley Kalis thinking right now? She's thinking that she can win because when you look what happened Tuesday night, you know, two-thirds of the voters, first time he, Governor McKee went before the voters as a governor, said two-thirds said that they didn't want him, they wanted somebody else. When you look by community where he did well, if you combine Nellie and Helena, they outdid him in Providence, they outdid him in his hometown of Cumberland, um, Cranston, Warwick, so he's vulnerable in places that she could go and speak to them. There are many issues that Helena ran on that Ashley's running on, so she can say, all right, your candidate didn't win, come to me. Yeah, you have to wonder how many of those votes were, you know, I guess anti-McKee, and will they translate over to a Republican candidate, you know, in, well, in Ashley Kalis? you get to remember that, you know, a primary brings out, what do we think it was, Steph, 20% overall yeah. turnout statewide, and a general election can get into the 40s, over 50, depending. I'm not, I'm not necessarily expecting it to be high now because of that. So um, she's also speaking to a much wider audience. And don't forget, we have polling on Dan McKee statewide. He's 
that has the worst numbers in the country, according to Morning Consult. Yeah. But to your Briefly, question, we have to go to break. Tim, but whether a, a Democratic primary voter who didn't like McKee will translate to a Kalis vote, I think it depends on how much she aligns with the national Republicans on all these different issues. She's already said Ron DeSantis is her favorite politician. Will she turn people off by going right. too far to the right? All right. As Kara said, this could have been a three-hour newsmaker, <laughs> but it's not. It's a 30-minute newsmaker. So we're going to go to a break, but we're just getting started. We're going to uh, look ahead to the congressional race to replace Jim Langevin, and there is a new mayor in Providence. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. From 12 News, your local election headquarters, this is Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White with Ted Nisi, Steph Machado, Kara Cromwell, and Lisa Pelosi. We're doing a political roundtable breaking down primary day and the results there. We're shifting gears now to the race to replace Congressman Jim Langevin. Let's take a look at the results from the Democratic primary. Seth Magaziner running away with this one at 54%. David Siegel, 16%. Sarah Morgenthau, 12%. And there were three other candidates uh, there. Um, Joy Fox, 11%, Omar Ba, 5%, and Spencer Dickinson got uh, 2%. And boy, uh, before this race, it felt like it was even called, but uh, within 24 hours, it was already Alan Fung and Seth Magaziner going after each other with paid advertising. One's a, a third party, but let's take a listen to some of that. It was an attack on America. Trump's armed mob tried to overturn the will of the people. When Alan Fung was asked if January 6th changed his opinion about Trump, Fung said no. I'm not running away from Trump. Fung's first vote would be for Kevin McCarthy, a speaker who's determined to cut Social Security and pass a national abortion ban. Magaziner was handed everything and used the family riches to buy his way into office. Now he's running for Congress, where he would hand tax breaks to elite families like his, paid for with billions in new taxes on families making less than $75,000 a year. In Washington, Magaziner will fit right in, but we... Okay, so that first ad was uh, uh, paid for by the Magaziner campaign. The second ad against Seth Magaziner was uh, by the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is a super PAC aligned with House Republican leaders. They're dumping a million dollars into this. Kara, I have to assume when you have run congressional campaigns, mm. you would have liked to have had a million dollars. A million dollars? That's amazing. And yeah. uncommon in and Rhode Island. And uncommon in Rhode Island. It, it, they want that seat. Online. Yeah, because you, even like that, so because even the governors' associations often start with like like the, I think the DJ is putting in three fifty to help McKee right now over Kalis. A million dollars is a statement, particularly for a non-incumbent, right? These organizations are I say these organizations, but DGA and RCC, you know, they they are incumbent protection organizations, okay. really. Mm -hmm. There's and no so the, the DGA is really obligated to spend, you know, in support of a an incumbent governor. It's very a surprise to see a, a committee come in um, in support. And a million dollars goes a long way it, in it, a market it, it like that. It does, and I think mm -hmm. that's part of the reason for it. And I'll let Lisa and Steph get in, but just to say, I was talking to 
a lot of folks in Washington the last two days, and there is no open seat in New England that the Democrats think are more at risk, is wow. more at risk than right. Rhode Island's second district. And they think it's going to be a very narrow win for either party. And the last thing they want is to wake up and find out Nancy Pelosi lost the speakership by one seat because they lost in New England and didn't do enough. Right. So that's why you're going to see a lot of fighting. Exactly. So, yeah, Magazine was probably feeling pretty good about himself. Getting more than 50% of the vote in a six-way race is yeah. not yeah. easy to do. I mean, obviously, <laughs> we're just talking about McKee in a five-way race, one with 30 33%. Magazine are yeah. getting more than half of the votes in the primary, I think probably has his campaign feeling pretty confident about the general. But Lisa and Alan Fung, we should say, uh, household name, very popular yep. in, in Cranston, which is a big voter block uh, potentially in the second congressional district. But Lisa, he could be facing some real national headwinds as this, the next eight weeks play out. You know, we first... You know, as we talked today, there was that plane that flew into Martha's Vineyard with migrants right. on board, obviously uh, not very popular in this area. And then I think more importantly, something he's really going to have to address, the abortion issue that is such a national conversation right now. And you had Senator Lindsey Graham proposing a bill that would make a federal abortion ban after 15 weeks. I'm sure Alan Fong wants to avoid all that. You know, so what you started off by saying is he has very favorable ratings. People like him. And he, when the two times that he ran for governor, he didn't burn bridges at the end when he lost. He kept the door open for him to run again. So he needs to be out there and defining and sharing with the public who he is and defining what Republican means to him, not let the party, not let Seth Magazine or any third party outside folks come in and say, I mean, when I hear them saying that he's this radical right, I'm thinking that's not the Alan Fong that we know. So he has to fight back on that. And the Democrats uh, have said to me, they're like, we don't need everyone to hate Alan Fung at the end. Lincoln Chafee had a 62% approval rating the day he lost to Sheldon Whitehouse. Right. We just need people to say, it's not about he, Alan he's Fung. voting for Kevin McCarthy for right. speaker, and yeah. we don't want the Kevin McCarthy stuff, even if Alan's going to be more moderate when he's down there. That's where they're going to try to, because I think they know. Well, they already they're, are. They're, I mean, they're, that, they're that's already what that yeah. <laughs> that's They know they're not going to be able to probably turn Alan Fung into a villain uh, after all these times running statewide, but they can turn him into a Republican, which usually isn't good in Rhode Island. Well, we have to look at if the House is going to go Republican, and I think it's still leaning that way to do that, we want to have a Republican voice from Rhode Island to talking to leadership at the House to say, here's what Rhode Island needs. They're not going to be listening to David Cicilline. <laughs> mm. Spoken like a former John Chafee staff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we have about three and a half minutes left in the show, and Steph Machado sitting to my left, and I don't talk about the Providence mayoral race. I'll never hear the end of it. So <laughs> why don't we bring up the results, if we could, from the Providence mayoral race. Uh, Brett Smiley got 42% of the vote. Gonzalo Cuervo at 36% and Nierva La Fortune at 22%. Steph, moments after Brett Smiley won the race for Providence Mayor, you got a one-on-one -on -one interview with him. We have just a, a quick moment from that interview. Let's take a listen. You didn't win in 2014. You won tonight. Tell me what you did differently in this race. You know, over the last eight years since that last campaign, I've had a fabulous opportunities to work for the city, to work for Governor Raimondo, to serve the state during the COVID crisis. And over those eight years, I've built friendships and relationships, you know, got really deep into the community. I never stopped actually doing the work of relationship building in the neighborhoods, and that's made all the difference. Steph, did he just say he's been campaigning for eight years? <laughs> That's exactly what he said. It's true. It's true. He has been running for mayor since he lost that last campaign. Actually dropped out of the last, the last campaign in, right. in 2014. And it shows, if you look at the numbers, 
uh, and I, I looked at the precinct by precinct data. Listen, he, he dominated on the east side. Nearville of Fortune did win her ward where she lives. He dominated on the north part of Providence. Gonzalo Cuervo did well. You know, he he was, I think, 7,000-something votes there. He did well on the, on the south side and Olneyville, Federal Hill. But Brett managed to win a number of precincts on the south side and the mm. west side, so his support was more widespread throughout the city. Cuervo didn't win a single precinct on the east side or in the north part of the city where he lives. His base is on the south side um, where he grew up. But that is what Brett was saying there when he said, I maintain the relationships in the neighborhoods. He was campaigning. He was running this race the whole time. It's very ahead, on brand, though, as far as him being, you know, like a deep in the weeds, like a hardworking guy. So I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I know it sounds bad. <laughs> no, like it's he's not been surprising. Campaigning yeah. the whole time, but it's not surprising but to me it, that he's never stopped. What was you know, interesting to me as I watched it play out through Steph's working. reporting is, you know, Brett Smiley very clearly made a decision at the top of this race. He knew he was going to be an East Side, a good candidate on the East Side. That's that's where he's from. That's his base. He's a Ramundo person. But then he went, as you said, for the northern part of the city by being very friendly to police officers, even mm. when it wasn't clear yet that all Democrats were going to have to head that way because some of the defund stuff had become unpopular. He really tried to be the moderate, which is not necessarily what you'd expect from the former Gina Raimondo gay, you know, like, you know, he has a liberal political profile. Yeah, 14, but he called himself, I'm the progressive candidate yes. for mayor. Yep. Now, when I he asked wasn't. him, I asked him during this race if he calls himself progressive, he said, well, I call myself pragmatic. <laughs> so he was just changing his branding a little bit. Not that he's some super moderate uh, Democrat. He's still liberal, but he was changing his branding a little bit to appeal to more people. Yep, and he had, he had, Conser fairly conservative uh, councilman behind him. Oh, yeah. Johnny Gliozzi, Jim Taylor, Michael Correa, all these councilmen who are actually are all term limited, so they won't <laughs> be on the council for the Smiley administration. Uh, Nick Narducci, like, they were all supporting his candidacy, sort of this more um, older, more conservative Democratic wing of Providence politics. And what a contrast is going to be with, I think, Mayor Lorza and how Brett Smiley plans to act as mayor. And uh, that Brett Smiley gets sworn in in January, so Jorge yes, Lorza is still is still the mayor <laughs> until then. He right. has no opponent in November, so yeah, that's, that's right, why he's that's the winner. Right. All right, so we are out of time. Lisa Pelosi, Kara Cromwell, Steph Machado, Ted Nisi, thanks so much. We have our, the full results on WPRI.com. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers. Thank you.